You're listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast. You're listening to episode 451 and I'm your co-host, Brittany Martin. Andy Kroll is back again, but it is a new year, so his guest appearance clock has been reset. This time I have scammed him back onto the show so he can give me a bunch of free advice on how to hire junior developers. Happy New Year, Andy. Happy New Year. And you did your podcast voice again. I sure did. (laughs) It is a permanent institution. It might be 2023, but the podcast voice will be here forever. (laughs) Excellent. Jolly good. (laughs) All right. So we are here to talk about hiring junior developers, which I think is going to be an important episode for those out there who want to get started. So before we start and dig into all the free advice that you're going to give me, Andy, let's take a step back and remind the listeners where we work and why we're hiring junior developers. Right. So I work at CoverageBook in the UK. We are a very small team, three and a half Ruby developers of a total team size of 11. So we have a very small team. And previously we'd always sort of thought, are we a good place for juniors to land? And then I figured that actually that was nonsense and I should call myself on my own bullshit and actually hire some junior developers because I think we'll be good at it once they're here because we care. And I think that's actually what it boils down to is like, how much effort you put in is how much goodness you get out. So let's see if that's true this year. Exactly. So I work at TextUs. It's an enterprise text messaging app. It's a Ruby on Rails API. Several clients on the front end that are built mostly in React. The team total is about 15. One thing that we do whenever we're hiring seniors in mid is it's a requirement that you have to be willing to mentor. I have interviewed many candidates who basically said to my face, I'm not interested in mentoring, which is really convenient for me because then I can cut them right there. So I tell many people we're never going to solve the industry growing problem if we don't hire junior developers. And so that's been a part of our culture since day one. So Andy, tell me your recent experience with hiring a junior developer and what's worked well for you. So initially it was a discussion with the team. So I'd said that we were sort of worried we would do a bad job because we were so small. Initially, it was a case of doing as much research as I could to find behaviors for sustaining junior hiring. So our plan is to hire two post-bootcamp folks and have them around for a year and then do it again and send those two people off into the world, into their next jobs, and then hire two more bootcamp folks as well. Because we're not planning on growing the team sort of exponentially. So this is a sustainable way for us to do that mentoring you talked about to do a good thing for a couple of junior devs every year. And hopefully my secret plan is to take some of the stuff that we're doing and wrap it up so that other teams of our size can have the confidence to do the junior development and the junior hiring that we're doing. I love that. So you're starting with one junior developer and then eventually you want to move on to pairs? No, we're going to start with two. Oh, wow. Okay. I love when people start big. So why two? Well, initially my team were against this idea and it was actually only once we got through the process and having had some interviews in December, we decided the quality of the candidates was so good. It felt bad to everyone we're saying no to. (laughs) So we thought we'd have two. So initially I was like quite gung-ho about having two and there was a workshop at RubyConf Mini run by Adam Cuppy and Chelsea from the San Diego bootcamp, I think Learn Academy. And they turned up with another woman, Sarah, who runs the interns for their bootcamp. Their bootcamp has internships as part of it. So they're very good at like placing people in companies for short to medium lengths of time. And she was so emphatic about hiring 
two, maybe four, she said. Because if you hire them in pods, there's a sense in which they unstick each other. You know, most boot camps, the uh, students are pairing and working together. They're all working together on final week projects. So there's a sense of camaraderie. There's all sorts of benefits as well in terms of they can check in with each other. If one person's really struggling, is that them? Is that you? There's just a lot more sort of information flowing around when you've got two people. At least that's the theory. And you can have me back in a few months. Maybe I'll bring them on. That would actually be really fun to have the pair onto the show after you've had them for a while. I'm sure they will have some good inside stories about you, Andy, which I'm always <laughs> sure. <laughs> I, I claim final edit. I will tell you that roughly a year and a half ago is when we hired a trio of junior developers at Texas. And it was unbelievable how much the three of them supported each other. They ran their own retros. They checked in on each other. They had their own private channel. I wanted to make sure that they felt integrated in the team and that they could ask questions in front of all the seniors and whatnot. Mm. But I understand, too, that you need to have somewhere safe that you can go to and just kind of wonder out loud. Yeah, so... The feedback from that workshop and previous things that I'd, you know, I'd spent a lot of time before I even got this process underway, speaking to folks who'd hired juniors, speaking to folks who'd been doing lots of hiring, randomly dropping into people's DMs on Twitter and saying, do you fancy like a half hour call so I can pick your brain? So I'd done a lot of this research and the the sort of the hiring in groups of uh, juniors seems to make sense. Although of course it's even more terrifying to a small team to hire two people at once rather than hiring one. So that was the major thing that we've had to get over as a team here. Now, remind me of what your current working from home to office split is, because you were narrowed to hiring within the UK, correct? Yes, that's right. So we have a remote friendly setup and we always have been. So like, actually, my work style didn't change much during the pandemic, apart from obviously the homeschooling of my own children, which was somewhat of a difference. In terms of like my being in the office, I'm sort of in the office a couple of days a week, as are the other folks in the team. We're all sort of south coast of the UK based. So for some people, it's half an hour to get in. For some people, it's half an hour walk. So we're looking primarily at southeast of the UK. But given most of the boot camps are in London, that's fine. And my expectation, and we set this in the job spec, was that people would come down for a couple of days a week. But as a company, we're going to make that easy for them if their family situation allows them to come down on a Thursday and stay overnight and then work Friday as well. I'm happy to flex with that and like make it easy. We're trying to make it easy to do that kind of hybrid thing because I think for junior folks, although of course there are remote boot camps that work well, our team culture has some in-person component and we're not really set up for fully remote people and they might feel a little more isolated than perhaps we'd want them to. So it's going to be a similarly in the office amount for those people. And the feedback has been that certainly some of the candidates we spoke to were just like, yeah, I really want to spend some in-person time. They've come from quite an intense bootcamp experience and they can see the benefits of both the in-person time and the remote time. So I think that's trying to get that balance is going to be key. And I think it'll depend on the individual as well, honestly, and the individuals that we hire. So we'll see how that pans out. Yeah. Talk to me about the job spec. Did you basically look at a bunch of them and try to cobble together one that you think would sound like you or... Did you sit down with a blank piece of paper and really try to write out what you think a junior developer position would be for you? Well, I sat down with the job spec that we put together for Emma, who joined us three years ago, and stripped out the stuff that made sense for a mid-level and tried to make it as junior-friendly as possible. And I'd spoken at a few boot camps as well. I got I regularly speak at the Lewagon Boot Camp in London, and I went to the Makers Career Day. So I've 
spoken to a lot of bootcamp folks, so I had a good sense of the sorts of things they might be interested in and the sorts of things that we wanted for a team, like curiosity and being very clear about the sorts of people we would like to apply, as well as the sort of circumstances of the job. I think often we're all guilty in our industry of not being as crisp as we could be in our job specs. So we put the salary on there. I found out what the expectation of salary was and I put it on there. You know, I made it very clear how many days you'd be expected to be in the office, that it was this sort of hybrid year training scheme slash first job thing. Yeah. So I tried to be as crisp and clear with my descriptions as I could be. And yeah, I sort of got feedback on it from a few people. One of the nice careers people at one of the boot camps said that they were tempted to apply. <laughs> oh, wow. That is high kudos because they spend their days reading those job specifications. So yeah, that's so it, awesome. As I do with all the writing that I do, I try and make it as human as possible and as sound like me. Because, you know, if you are going to have to work with me if you take this job. So you may as well like the sound of me. This episode is brought to you by Honey Badger. Did you know that Honey Badger status pages now come with incident management? As an engineering manager on a team who recently implemented an incident management process, I was super excited to hear this. Build confidence with a public status page that shows your live service status and incident history. The ability to bring your own domain is key here. Transparency inspires trust. When your next outage happens, communication is gonna be key. Alert your users of issues early and keep them updated as each incident unfolds with incident management. Plus, if you have scheduled maintenance, you can keep your users informed as your team works through the window. Head on over to honeybadger.io to learn more. How about the interview process? Were you very clear in the job spec what that was going to look like? Yeah, we tried to keep it fairly simple. So the initial application was a cover letter and a CV. So like a standard one page CV and then a cover letter where we asked a couple of specific questions to try and give them something comparable to write about. And then to all of those people who passed what I thought was a low bar of coherent CV and functional writing and being able to read the requirement that we have as a business of like only people with the right to work in the UK could join just from an administrative perspective. So once we weeded out the handful of people who weren't able to work in the UK or had not filled out the cover letter to any sort of coherent level, we sent a fairly straightforward tech test. I think if we looked at it again, the tech test was a little bit possibly easy. We didn't stratify particularly on the results of that. There was not a lot of difference. I mean, there was some difference, like some people just didn't do it. And I'm going to presume those people either got a job or couldn't complete it. But that was quite a low percentage. We got sort of quite good results in terms of people getting the tests to pass that we gave them. And then the solutions were variously very, very Ruby-ish. And some were sort of like Ruby as written by JavaScript people or quite convoluted. I did put a deliberate typo in there to see if people would get in touch with me to answer that. Not intended sort of as a, as a real gotcha, but it wasn't yeah. like, it, it wasn't like a code typo. It was a typo in the tests. Oh. So each character in this test suite had a name. And then in certain cases, I hadn't repeated that name in the answer I was expecting. And so I was hoping people would either just fix it going, you spelt the names wrong in the tests. So I just fixed it. Or gave me two solutions or got in touch to go, did you realize you did X? So yeah, I was looking for the communication as part of that tech test as much as I was looking for the answers in the tech test. And did that happen? Yes. Oh, that's so great. So talk to me about Pipeline. How many overall applicants, if you had to estimate, did you get? And then how many passed through each round until the final? 
So we had about 40 something, 46 ish applicants initially, primarily from the two boot camps I went and spoke to. So like that's my main sourcing strategy was literally to put myself in a room with people looking for jobs. Like that's the easiest thing to do. It's quite difficult to reach junior devs on Twitter or advertising or, Mm -hmm. you know, however else you might go about it. They may not know what job boards the Ruby community uses. In fact, I'm not sure I totally know either. So it was like literally putting myself in the room with people who've self-selected to change careers into development. So that was about 40 odd, sent the tech test out to about just under 40 of them. I pre-disqualified a few folks who couldn't work in the UK. We got about 25 tech tests back and then we interviewed in person on Zoom. We interviewed six people. Wow. Okay. So Um, how did you jump from the tech test to the six? Was it just looking for the typos, the quality of the work? Was it easy to find the six in there? So we had a very shallow scoring scheme of scoring between zero, one and two on certain things like on spoken. Basically, we had that scoring for the whole rubric of what we wanted to hire for. But specifically on the writing, we had like written communication, zero, one or two. And we had sort of code quality, zero, one or two. And primarily the people who scored. And each of us individually, me, Dan and Emma, all went through. We spent an afternoon individually going through these things and then compared our lists of the people who got twos in either of those things. And then we got a list of six that we picked from to go and interview. Actually, we had seven. And then we booked interviews and then one of them emailed me to say, I'm dropping out. I've just found a job through my mentor, a first Ruby friend, which was both sad because this was a good candidate and I'd met them at one of the boot camps, but also that it made me delighted because that's my secret plan for first Ruby friend. So, oh, <laughs> so that was good. I love that. <laughs> that is so great. And, you know, to your point, you had six in the final. You knew you couldn't take six and really seven. So as many as you can get hired as possible, the better. Yeah. That is funny, though. So at Texas, we're hiring a junior front-end developer, just one, which is an experiment for us because we're going to hire a senior React developer at the same time, and they will onboard as a pair, and we'll see how that goes. Right. We opened up the job spec and said that we would close it when we hit 50 candidates. We hit 50 candidates within 24 hours. Wow. So yeah, it was very fast. That being said, I have a good relationship with two boot camps in the U.S., And so I reached out to them as soon as it opened and that fueled a ton of the applicants. But we also had a couple of networks that we posted it out to. And so I was pretty happy with that. Closed it at 52. We had someone from HR screen. I ended up picking 10 and we had someone from HR screen 10 of the candidates. And then I have the same 10 coming through. And I am going to whittle it down to five. Those five will then present a project. So we're not making them go through any sort of coding exercise. They are going to present their capstone project to us. And then they will interview with the CTO and we'll make our selection. That sounds broadly similar. The tech test we put together was not intended to be a major bar for people. Mm -hmm. It was a relatively simple picking things from a hash kind of exercise with a little bit of sort of simple string manipulation. For this one, it was a GPA test, which Mm. the American people will understand. So, you know, you get an A minus and a C and you work out what the average GPA is and print a sentence. So it was very straightforward from an experienced Rubyist perspective, but it was more to see how they thought and if they got themselves confused or not. One recurring pattern that I keep seeing, Andy, and I'm curious if you agree, 
cover letters, for the most part, have fallen by the wayside. I love a good cover letter. I read them. But I know know a lot of people, they just don't read them anymore or do they bother to make them. So we ended up adjusting our job description to add some required questions just because I needed something in order to separate these candidates out. Yeah. We had them note a key thing that stood out to them about text us in general. We asked what their superpower that makes them stand out. Why would you be excited to write React code every day? And why is mentorship important to you? And that really was helpful in terms of separating the candidates out. I will say, you know, you had some candidates that got eliminated because they couldn't work in the UK. I had a bunch of candidates that have just started their boot camp. So I love the ambition, but (laughs) we're trying to start this developer in January and that's not going to work out for us. We had similar, like we had a couple who were too early. But, you know, I let them do the exercise because I think the exercise was useful. And one of the things that I did do for the candidates we didn't interview, I offered 15 calls with me, which basically obliterated a Thursday in December, where I spent some time helping them with their CV and giving them a little bit of feedback on the tech tests that they did, which felt like a nice thing to do for the many candidates who didn't get it. Here comes the free advice part. So you had that Thursday where it was just completely taken up by interviews or just the 15 minute sessions. Yeah. Today is the beginning of my rounds. So my round of 10. And so I have some questions that I'm going to be asking the junior developers. But, you know, have you come across any questions from this round that you just did that just really helped you separate the candidates apart? I think it was more about having a good set of things that we were looking for, having a rubric we were looking for. And then we built some questions for that. You know, we were looking for these are broad headings. So things like accountability, their learning process, how good is their self-knowledge of where they are and what they bring. Evidence of teamwork, obviously. We also like had a score for preparation as well. So we asked, is there a part of the in-person interview to prepare like a five to 10 minute go through of a Rails app that they've worked on? So typically they've, they've all got a Rails app as part of their bootcamp, or they may have gone off and built one themselves post that. So we wanted them to at least have some structure to the interview and we could then try and avoid really generic interview questions, but use that five to 10 minute presentation as a way of hooking our questions onto a real life experience for them. And then we had a bunch of questions that if they weren't covering it in other things, that we had questions that we could then poke at this particular area that we were interested in and see what they said. Making sure that if their learning didn't come through in their presentation, we were like, well, how best do you learn? What things are you doing to improve your coding skills? Or accountability, like how did your team operate? Also, like previous experience. So, like, what skills have you brought from your previous? You know, typically, bootcamp folks have changed career to move into software development. So, outside of their technical ability, what other skills does a developer need to do well? And that gives them an opportunity to reach back into their previous career and bring some of that knowledge and experience through. I have so, a huge soft spot for career switchers. Some of the best developers that I've seen, they've come in from another career, and I love it when they use skills that they built. Especially just the idea that they've already been a professional and understand how that all works. Yeah. I mean, that's um, one of the benefits of having a career changer or bootcamp person is that we're not also their first job. Yes. Agreed. Agreed. Now, how important was it to you that they graduated from a bootcamp? Only that was a really easy way to get candidates. Yes. Um, so I mean, we put it in the job spec that we were happy to bring on self-taught folks as well. Like it didn't, you didn't have to have done a bootcamp. It's just that was an easy place for us to go and post a job, go and speak to folks in person and get those candidates to apply. So it was more a case of significant volume rather than it being 
a specific thing I was looking for. I, you know, I think a self-taught dev could easily pass the interview thing that we set up, but there is a bunch of support that you get from being in a bootcamp in terms of like knowing how software engineering, you know, they're quite good at giving you a prototype version of what a agile-ish software team, how those would work. So like, I think there are advantages for folks who've been through that bootcamp, but it's not, it's absolutely not an exclusion if you haven't. Hi everyone, it's Brian, your co-host. I'd like to talk to you about something that is very near and dear to my heart, and that's the software consultancy I co-founded in 2001, Atlantis Technology. Some of the longtime listeners here may know, Mirror was born out of Atlantis back in 2006 when we figured, let's try being Ruby engineers who recruit Ruby engineers. It was a unique idea that clicked and now has become my life's work. But while I've been growing Mirror for the past 15 years, Atlantis has continued to grow as well. Atlantis still specializes in Ruby on Rails software development and collaborates on some pretty meaningful projects. Here are a couple of my favorites. An interactive education tool to help elementary school students learn how to read. How cool is that, right? Second is a SaaS application for clinics and hospitals to treat patients remotely. So my point is the work we do is really meaningful and impactful to others. But the best part is the work gets done by great developers who also happen to be great people. Atlantis has always attracted egoless, empathetic engineers who love working together and we are actively seeking more remote engineers to help build a future for our clients. While I'm not doing the actual recruiting for Atlantis myself, since my time is so focused on Mirror clients, it'd be my privilege to connect you with our CTO and co-founder, John Collier, who after 19 years, I still describe as one of the most relentlessly positive human beings I know. If you'd like to meet John and hear more about working at Atlantis, just drop me an email at brian at mirrorplacement.com and I'll make an intro or apply directly at atlantistech.com. We'll put a link in the show notes. So the two things I do want to say is that we're in the same position as you, Andy, where we post our job ranges, our pay ranges onto our job requirements just because we're based in Colorado. And it is so nice because when you go to do the offer, there's no question that it's going to be within that range or not. And of course, there's going to be some haggling if there is a range, but I really like the idea that there isn't a surprise. I think that should be very upfront and I'd like to see more companies be like that. Now you're getting ready to do some offers. So I'm curious, what did these candidates do that made them stand out? Is it that they were able to pass the test and now it just comes down to a really big culture fit because you're going from 3.5 developers to 5.5 developers, which means these two people are really going to make a big impact. Yes. So we had this rubric that we had. So the things that we were looking for that we agreed before we started the interviews. So we all had our notes and our scores on those folks. The ones who stood out, I would say, really had a good sense of preparation about their Rails app that they were walking us through. They either pulled out something very specific from the Rails app that they learned, or they were able to demonstrate their satisfaction with the difficulty of the thing they were doing or where they succeeded, where they failed. And they were able to express very well how they worked as a teammate. We had one candidate who it was a pretty bad interview in person. They were very unprepared. So that, that was a very good way to exclude that person. Out of the six that we did, we had one that was not good at all. We had one that was pretty good. We had one that was really great. And then we had three really outstanding ones, which is very hard for us to tease apart in all honesty. So one of the things I'm going to do as part of the offer process is I'm going to offer to one candidate 
and then we're going to offer to another and then the third candidate I'm desperate for, to find them a job so like that will be part of my hiring process is getting this third candidate who I thought was terrific try and get them a job somewhere as well try and use whatever network power I have to do that because lots of these folks are sort of really keen to get that first job and there isn't quite the pipeline for them at the other end of you know companies they can join how you separate them I mean that's part of the discussion of why we're hiring two again as a team we had decided I was fairly gung-ho for two, but the team, again, were concerned that going from 3.5 to 5.5 Ruby developers would be a big challenge for us. But seeing the quality of the candidates that we interviewed, there's a sense in which, yeah, two, absolutely. In an ideal world, we'd hire them all. Yeah. So, I mean, we've already declared you Ruby famous, Andy's. So. <laughs> oh, God, that's so awful. Oh, stop it. It's horrible. I know. I'm going to perpetuate that everywhere <laughs> I go. But in all seriousness. The fact that you care about that third candidate just says so much about your character. I will say that I love that you broke down the six like that because you have one really great candidate. And so then to me, if I were the hiring manager, you know, obviously I want to make an offer to that really great candidate right away. And then I would be looking at those three remaining developers and be like, who's their partner? Yes. Like, where are the weaknesses? Where are the strengths? How can I make these two fit well together? That's definitely something we're considering as part of our choice of two from the six. So yeah, it's been a really interesting challenge for us as a small group. And it's been a couple of years for, since I've done any hiring, certainly at this level. And the rest of the team haven't really done junior hiring where they've been a major force behind the decision, I don't think. They may have input into various decisions before, but yeah, this is a new thing for us as a team and us as an organization, really. Have you formalized what the mentorship is going to look like? Depends on what you mean by formal. As formal as I ever get, probably not. I don't know about you, but I'm looking at weekly one-to-ones with both folks, some sort of weekly mini retro probably with them to make sure that we're regularly getting feedback from them. Do they have a go-to person though that they can reach out to? It's just you. Okay. (laughs) That seems like it's going to be a lot for you, Andy. Are you sure you want to take both on at once? Yes. Okay. I like hard things. (laughs) I mean, if I look back at my 2022, I was just discussing with my other half how tiring it's been. And yeah. then we did a massive migration at work of our entire app to an entirely new models, views, controllers inside the same app. So we migrated that in January, February. We sold a business in March, April, May. And then I attended RailsConf. I ran Brighton Ruby. I attended Yuruko. And then I helped run RubyConf Mini. So yeah, it's been a busy year. So I'm quite tired now. So I figure like if I don't do four conferences next year, then it'll be easy, right? I'll have plenty of time. I'm actually curious, going off on kind of a tangent, which of those conferences were worth your time? Like, were they all worth it? All of them. Okay. That's hard then. Yeah. RailsConf was an excuse to get a talk built that I wanted to build. And then I gave that in Helsinki as a keynote, which was awesome. And then Brighton Ruby was just me getting back on the horse for that. And then RubyConf Mini was somewhat of an accident in that Gemma said, can you help with this? And I was like, yeah, sure. Why not? And then turns out running a three-day conference is hard. In a different country. In a different country. I mean, I didn't have to do most of the initial logistics, but just like the three days when you're actually there and on and making sure everything's ticking over and constantly low-level firefighting. Yeah, that's tough. Okay. So, I mean, on that thread... You like to do hard things. So you want those two junior developers to report to you and come to you just because you truly will be able to go back to the rest of the Ruby community and say, hey, I've done this. I've done 
the actual one-to-one mentorship. I know how difficult it can be. It can be hard, but it is worth it. Look at these amazing employees that I have retained all of these years. You can do this too. Yes, absolutely. That's the thing. Like I can't advocate if I haven't walked the walk myself. So that's part of this. I think it's important that we all do the things that we say we're going to do and then advocate for those things. That's awesome. How are you doing it for you? So your hiring is an interesting pair, right? So you've got a senior person and a junior person in the same technology. So they're kind of junior to your organization, but one of them is vastly more technically experienced. Is your plan that the junior would be mentored by them technically? And then how are you doing the sort of pastoral care? So we have some mids and seniors on the front end as well. And so in theory, what's going to happen is that the pair will work on low level like bugs and chores to begin with. And that will just be the senior coaching the junior on like, this is how you do a pull request. This is how you interact with the team. This is how to work within a ticketing system. This is how to communicate to the very type A engineering manager as to what's going on here. They sound like a nightmare, Brittany. Oh, I'm just awful. (laughs) (laughs) But then from there, like once they actually get assigned onto a project, my goal is as that senior front end developer is more and more comfortable, they get assigned an actual project. I want them to project manage it so that they are finding those small items and assigning that off to the junior. So that way, like the two of them are keeping context. But you're right. It's a situation where the two of them don't have contacts on this code base. And so I want the junior to learn from the senior as to how to reach out to the team and how to discover and how to be curious. And it's definitely going to be different because when we onboarded the trio last time around, we had specific senior developers who had been here for a while that were assigned to each of them. So that was helpful, but it also slowed them down quite a bit, like the actual senior developers. So which way is the right way to go? And to your point, Andy, I'm just trying to walk the walk and see like, what's the best way to do this? And sometimes it depends on what season your application is in. When we hired the trio, we were trying to do this big feature launch. Like we were rewriting everything into TypeScript. So they immediately started writing code. This is going to be a very different situation where we've gotten a lot bigger. We can be a bit more calm about things. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. And in terms of the onboarding to the organization part of it. Will that be you or are you expecting the, you said your senior is going to be showing them how to do pull requests and stuff, but like their taste in pull requests might be different to your organization. So where's that organizational context going to come from them? That will come from me and the other senior developers on the team. We luckily have really extensive documentation as to what like a good pull request to text us looks like, which is really helpful. The more that you can point at things and say, hey, we have a policy around this, the better. And I'm really expecting this pair. Every time we hire someone new, I need someone to raise their hand and say, hey, you told me this, but I don't see it written anywhere. And so then that's my cue to say, hey, could you write it down? <laughs> like. Yeah, I mean, that's going to be a feature of the folks joining our team, I think, is we're not lazy in terms of that, but I don't think it's been as much of a necessity as potentially we could. Like, there'll be a lot of stuff. I've spent some time getting the app ready in terms of, like, setup scripts, and you can just pull it down, type a couple of commands and have it up and running on your machine. But yeah, there's definitely going to be a case where we're missing docs, and we'll either have to write them in conjunction with those folks or get the folks to write them themselves. Yeah. So how fresh is your app now? Pretty fresh now. It's an eight-year-old code base, but it's been entirely rewritten in the last three years on the inside. Oh, that must feel so good. Yeah. 
You're like, no, actually, we shoved all the old code into lib. And <laughs> no, no, we've been quite good. I do. I've got, I've got an open PR to remove the last of the active record models from the previous version nice. of the app. Any app, as long as you keep it relatively fresh, like there's no scary bits. You know, we're already in legacy code version two. Yeah. The decisions we made when we were migrating, some of them, even in the first year, we're looking at it going, was that the right decision? It was a you know big pendulum swing from where it was before but maybe it's not quite as fit for purpose as we thought. You know, as in all code is destined for deletion. It's just how quickly you get to do it. Awesome. Well, anything else that you want to note about hiring junior developers before you run off and start making some offers? I just am really interested to hear of other people's experiences doing this. I'm about to enter quite a new phase for our team of having these junior folks around. And whilst I'm hoping that they themselves will be able to give me feedback on where we're succeeding and where we're failing. I would really love to hear from other folks who are already into that or have good experience doing that and hopefully avoid me making the same mistakes that they made. That would be great if I could hear from that. I guess you and me are going to catch up fairly regularly now to go, how are yours doing? (laughs) Yeah, really. And we plan on doing more. I mean, we're doing the junior React developer now. I expect that we'll hire junior Rails come 2023. So I think this is just going to keep happening because it is the best way to grow out your engineering team with people who are eager to be there and they bring such fresh energy to the team that it's just overall, it is a big win. We just need more people to see that. Yeah, there's that great quote, which is, I hire seniors just as much as you do, except I hire them a few years earlier. Oh, I love that. Oh, that's the perfect way to end the episode. Happy New Year, Andy. It was great to catch up. And great to catch up with you, Brittany. You've been listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast. Follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded to stay in the loop on Ruby on Rails and open source software. While you're at it, please leave us a review. And thank you for listening.